You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. Uh, I'm preaching today on the heart of our movement. I'm gonna end today with a story that I'm pretty sure I probably preached at Passion City Church a time or two. But I want every single one of us that walks out of the gathering today to know this is what passion is about. And ultimately, it really doesn't matter what passion's about. So, you know, it's great that passion has a value and passion has stuff that we care about, has a foundation, has a history. But ultimately, that foundation and that history have to match up with God's foundation and God's history. Because if there's anything true about Passion City Church, it's this. We want to be on God's page. We want to be lined up with God. We want to be moving where God is moving, thinking what God is thinking, and valuing what God is valuing. And so fortunately, God isn't hiding what he cares about. He's unfolded it in the story of salvation and in the pages of his word. And so today, this is the heart of our movement. We say at Passion that we are for God, for people, for the city, and for the world. And so that's kind of our motto, if you will. You'll see it uh, on the wall in some of our buildings. You'll hear it in in the language that we use. Passion City Church is, if you know it, you can say it with me. We are for God, for people, for the city, and for the world. We talked a few months ago about the globe, and we've been talking a lot and thinking about the unreached peoples of the world. We've talked a lot about the city, and in Love Atlanta, we are moving constantly to serve the underserved and to build up the city and the people of Atlanta. And obviously, we're for people because look around, the house is full of people today. But we we say first, we're for God. Before we're for people, we're for God. Before we're for the city, we're for God. Before we're for the whole wide world, we're for God. And that could be redundant because you would think, well, hello, Louis, it's a church. Obviously, it's for God. Not so. You can visit a lot of churches and hardly hear anything about God. I'm not knocking any particular church. I'm just telling you, you can go to church today and never hear the name of Jesus mentioned. You can walk in a church and walk out of a church and never meet anybody who's on fire for God. Because church can quickly become about our agendas, about what we need, what we think, what we want, our point of view, and we can miss the fact that we gather today primarily to worship and exalt and adore and praise the great God of heaven. Jesus is alive, and we gather today to honor him and to adore him. And so at Passion City Church, we don't want to miss that. We don't want to just blow right by that the church primarily exists for God's glory. We're his people on planet earth. We're his hands and feet in the neighborhood. We are a city set on a hill and a light shining in darkness, but we're all those things so that the world can see and hear and know that there is a great God 
in heaven. And long before there was Passion City Church, there was a passion movement, a collegiate movement calling 18 to 25-year-olds to something more in their life. And even at the beginning, we knew this movement is primarily about the glory of God. We, when we started, we weren't a missions movement, although we were hoping that people would be shot like arrows to the ends of the earth. We weren't a revival movement, although we were praying desperately for a spiritual awakening on the campuses of this nation. We weren't a conference movement, although we were called Passion Conferences, and tens of thousands of people would show up. We weren't a campus movement, although we were on hundreds of campuses meeting with students all across America, encouraging them that God still had a purpose and a plan for their school. But at the end of the day, more than the messages, more than the music, more than the events, more than the conferences, we knew we are a Jesus movement. And at the center of this movement is a great and sovereign God who has always been, who is, and who always will be. It was Jesus at the center. It was Jesus in the middle of it all. It was by Jesus, and it was for Jesus, and everything existed because of the glory of God. The glory of God is central in the heart of God. Now, this whole message is contrary to the human mind, but it's the best news you've ever heard. At the center of the heart of God is not you. At the center of the heart of God is God. And fortunately, the God who is at the center of the heart of God is in love with you. So you're in good shape. But God's heartbeat is for his glory. We always say in kind of the crazy way, if you're God, you have to know you're God. And if you know you're God, you know you're the best. And if you know you're the best, you have to promote yourself. Because who else would you promote if you were the best? If you loved a broken world and you knew they needed the best, how else could you get them to the best except by prohibiting them from anything less than the best and promoting yourself in their lives as the best? Therefore, God comes into your story and he says, hey, I got news for you. You need to tear down every idol and make me the center of your life. Why? Because God has like an ego problem and, you know, like needs to be a big deal in your story. No, because he loves you so much. He will not let you settle for anything less than the very best. And he knows he's the very, very best. There's no one to promote God. If God didn't promote God, who would promote God? I mean, we're promoting everything but God. We're celebrating everything but God. We're putting our friends onto everything but God. And without God, we would be spiritually blind and wouldn't even know there was a God. So God has to step into the story and say, oh, by the way, just letting you know, I am the Lord, Isaiah 45, 5, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Words penned, not by Isaiah, the prophet, but words breathed by God. When he meets Moses at the burning bush, he says, take your shoes off. It's holy ground. And then Moses says, who are you? And he says, Haya, one Hebrew word translated into several English words. I am that I am. My name is I exist. I am God. I be God. I, I, I have been God in the past. I am God right now. I will be God in the future. Moses, you are face to face right now with I be. I exist. 
go to Pharaoh and tell him that I exist sent you to him. Terrible grammar, incredible theology. Doesn't really fit into English, but it definitely fits in to kingdom theology. We came today because there is a God who knows who he is. He is the Lord and there is no other. There is no one like him. He's the God who exists. So our story begins in Genesis. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. It all started with God. And therefore, when passion started, we knew that there was a glorious God in the middle of the story. And if that sounds like, hey, obviously, ABC, we all know that. That's the most obvious thing in theology. I'm telling you, it is not obvious to the normal Christian mind. The normal Christian mind says God exists to help me do what I am trying to do in my life. God is there to support me, to help me, to strengthen me, to back me up, to give me what I need so that then I can go forward and do what it is that I want to do in my life. And God is saying, no, you are there to give me glory. You are there to reflect my praise. You exist to give Give me honor. I created you for me. You did not create me for you. It all starts with me. And your highest value is going to be found when you find your highest value in me. Therefore, passion from the beginning has been trying to do something very complicated. It's called a 180. We have been trying to turn people's thinking around. From I am at the center of everything. And isn't this our culture? Isn't this our culture? Hey, it's your life. You just be you. You do you. Isn't this our culture? Hey, you call the shots. You decide where you're going. You decide what you want to be and do in life. And, you know, if you can add God to that, absolutely, that would improve things. And then God is saying, no, I am at the center. It all starts with me and everything orbits around me, always has, does, and always will. And this is an important distinction in the passion movement. I remember when this was all like gelling for Shelly and me and passion conferences hadn't really taken our first step yet in 1997, but this whole idea of the glory of God was wrecking us in the very best way. And I was preaching at a student conference in Arkansas and I was doing my very best to articulate this. I was going all through the scriptures, preaching all these passages about the glory of God and about how God is central and about how God is, is to be magnified and how everything's about God. You know, I grew up in a great church, an amazing church, one of the best churches, period. But I still thought kind of that the Bible was about me. In fact, in, in my uh, upbringing and in my high school uh, years and the college years, we actually had a little book called God's Promises. Does anybody remember that? There were several yeah. volumes of it, and it was just so, someone going, hey, I'm going to take out all the extraneous material and just get the promises for your life in a little bound volume. Yeah. And we, I love that. I carried that around more than the Bible most of the time. Because in my devotion, why, why would I want anything other than here's a God, God promise for today. Here's a God promise for tomorrow. Here's what God's going to do for me on Thursday. Here's what God's going to do for me on Tuesday. Here's what God's going to do for me in this situation. And I kind of got the idea that the Bible was God's promises for my life. 
heaven, definitely all about me. Uh, Jesus actually went to build me a house and uh, he was gonna take me up there at the end of the day and I knew it was gonna be an amazing house. It's just changed in time with my taste, but right now it's kind of a contemporary, very angular, modern, but not too cold uh, house with a tennis court and a pool and a ski slope in the back because it's heaven and you can do all that on the same afternoon. <laughs> the cross was 100% about me and that was the most obvious one. Jesus died for me, duh. Jesus came for me. Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus shed his blood for me. Church was definitely for me. And I was going to evaluate it based on my preferences, taste, and uh, my experience on every given Sunday. I'd walk out and go, oh, I thought it was pretty good. I'd walk out and go, eh, it was good. Oh, I thought oh, it was really good today. Oh, it was, a church was off the, the hook today. Or, man, I don't know. Because surely this was all for me, Right? I got up and I got dressed and I got there and I want, you know, coffee and a good song and somebody to encourage me and I want the carpet to be blue and not red. I don't like red. And I, 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 I like it when we do this and when we sing that and when it feels like this and I like these people to be there and not these people to be there because this is all for me, right? And then a revelation happened. Crazy. I was like, oh, hello. Uh, this is not just a book of promises to help me improve my life. This is not the owner's manual for me. This is the story of a sovereign God who has been moving through history to accomplish his purposes and his plans. And if you read it, it's going to blow your mind about a sovereign, glorious God who is unstoppable in time and space. The cross, man, did impact my life, changed my life. Jesus did give his life for me. But you know why he gave his life for me? So that I could be alive from the dead and have a song in my mouth to sing praise to the God of heaven. And so that people from every language, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue could be awakened into one glorious reunion in eternity of God's people giving him praise. Jesus died for me so that God could get glory. Because what God would die for his own people? What God would give his life to save rebels like me? What God would go to those links to do what no other God in history has ever claimed to do. No religious leader would give his life for his people, but God did so that God could be seen as the one unique merciful God who would do what no other God can do. When Jesus died, that cross was for the glory of God. I got in the story. I got saved. I got redeemed. I got brand new life, but it was all about the glory of God. Heaven is about God and God's glory. Church today is about God and God's glory. Everything that exists is about God and his glory. I'm in on it. I'm benefiting from it. My life has been transformed and changed and continues to be, but it is not about me. It is all about him. Now, I know uh, we're not going to get like a thunderous applause all the time from that because it just rubs us up against our flesh. And we're like, ah, it's all true, but Hopefully there's a good application in this sermon for me at some point today. Because <laughs> so far, nothing. Come on, Pastor. 
Like, when am I going to get the takeaway? So I'm preaching this, right, at this collegiate conference in Arkansas. And I'm, I'm learning. Shelly and I are, are, are moving our way through with our team, and we're, we're feeling a lot of transition in our hearts around a new revelation of the glory of God. And I'm doing my best to preach and uh, get finished with the talk, go and sit down on about the third row over here. I'm in this church in Arkansas. I come to this pew, sit right about where you guys are. And the guy running uh, the entire collegiate ministry for the state of Arkansas for this particular denomination is sitting there. I've been sitting next to him before I preached. And we, we sit down and someone comes out to lead the responsive worship song. And he is so excited. I will never forget the moment. He has a very large Bible, uh, four or five times the size of the one I'm holding right now. And he has it opened and he, he just puts the Bible in my lap and he says, and I'm frustrated because I really want to be in this moment of worship. And I'm like, I put the Bible back in his lap and I'm like, thank you, but we're, we're responding to God right now. And I want to be a part of that. And so I've got my eyes closed. And next thing I know, the Bible's back in my lap and I can feel the weight of his finger pointing on the page. And I, I'm get ready to pick the Bible up and put it back in his lap. And by this time he's got my hand and he's like, no. And so I finally, I'm like, what, what? And he goes, read that. And I look down at his Bible and he's highlighted a verse of scripture, which is going to come up on the screen. Isaiah 26, 8. It's a passage of scripture that um, has become the anchor of everything we do. And I look down at his Bible after trying to find my way through this message about the glory of God. And I read these words. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait eagerly for you. Now there's a four or five messages in that. But this last phrase, it just pierced my heart. For your name and renown are the desire of our souls. In other words, these people had come to a revelation that if God truly was ultimate in every way, that the name of God and the renown, that's the, the generational echo of God. The renown, is, is that sense that there are names on earth that are big, but there's only one name that's gonna echo into eternity. And so this confession says, we see and understand that to the degree that your name and your renown, that's what's moving us at the core of our being. And right there, sitting in that pew, everything about passion crystallized. Everything about our movement crystallized. Our website became 268generation.com. A lot of people on our team still have that email we were in a, in a point in time in culture where the internet was new and you couldn't search passion anything without getting somewhere you didn't want to go. So we needed another direction anyway. But conference number one, 268 generation. The next year, we had a theme also, 268 generation. The next year, 268 generation. About 65 days from now, we'll be in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You know what our theme is this year? 
268 generation, Isaiah 26, 8. It's such a big theme, you can't exhaust it. You don't need a new theme next year. You don't need something else to think about at the next gathering or the next event. It is your name and your renown that are the desire of our souls. And if that can get down inside of me, think about a student at Western Kentucky University. And they're in a free-for-all of thought and value. Everything's up for grabs. What is truth? What is ultimate? What is value? What, what are the anchors of life? And there's every opinion. Everybody has a voice. Every Thursday night, every Friday night, every Saturday night, every Tuesday, something gets praised. Something gets elevated. Something gets glory on that campus. But what if there were a band of students who said, we're going to pray. We're going to believe. We're going to walk it out. We'll be up early praying over the campus. We'll be up late asking God for revival. We'll share the gospel with our friends. We'll be light in our dorms. And we want to see this campus awaken such that his name is echoed in every quad, in every dorm. Jesus' name is spoken in every cafeteria, in every classroom, that Jesus gets the glory on our campus and in our town. Your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. And we knew in that moment what passion was about. And we knew that passion was about what God is about. Do people get saved at passion? By the thousands. Do people's lives get redirected? Absolutely. People meet their husband or wife, tons of them have. Amen. Do people <laughs> get calling? Yes. Is their direction clarified? Every gathering. Do people get a sense of purpose for their lives? Yes. Do people get out of pits and stand on solid ground? For sure. Are prisoners set free? Yes. Are people called out to the nations? For sure. But all because we get around a God who is glorious and beautiful and sovereign in every way. And we just say, let's get our eyes on him and get our heartbeat synced to his heartbeat. And then he'll do all the rest. We'll get swept up in his glory. So we're saying again this year to 18 and 25 year olds, come to an event that is not about you and come to a God who is at the center of everything and embrace the most powerful message that you can embrace in your life. It is not about you. You are all about him. You're like, Louis, why do I want to get excited about this today? I mean, I, I do get what you're saying and I understand what you're saying and I know that if God's God, he has to be great and center and all that stuff, but why do I want to get excited about this message today? Two reasons. Number one, it is gonna put you in a bigger story for the rest of your life. A story that no matter what you're going through right now can still contribute to. I was in a green room a few years ago after preaching a message similar to what I'm preaching right now, just a, a message about the sovereignty of God, about the beauty of God, about the centrality of God. And at, at the break in this conference I was at, 
a pastor came over to me and I honestly never had a conversation like this. It kind of caught me slightly off guard and we're just sitting at a table talking, having lunch, there's people all around in this green room and this pastor said, Louis, I just have to tell you, I don't, I don't get the whole passion thing. I mean, it's all about God and it's all about the sovereignty of God and how God is at the center of everything. And why do we need to preach to people? It's not about you, it's all about God. Don't we just wanna tell everybody, these were his words, don't we just wanna tell everybody God loves you? Why do we need to tell them that God is into God? Why can't we just tell them God loves you? And I was like, whew, that's, that, that's a good question. How am I gonna answer that real fast? to someone I don't know very well. And just as I was trying to formulate an answer, I looked over this person's shoulder and on the other side of the green room was a friend of our house and a friend of Passion, someone who'll be speaking at Passion in the bins in a few weeks. And I said, the reason why it's important that people's theology is centered around a sovereign God is because we live on a disappointing and broken planet. I said, take for example, my friend, and we both could see my friend and he loved my friend. In fact, introduced me to my friend that I'm talking about. I says, take my friend whose daughter died on their kitchen counter a few years ago, having an asthma attack that they buried their five-year-old daughter. I said, he needs a net of theology to fall into that's bigger than simply God loves you because everything in his world right now is telling him God isn't loving at all. And he needs to know that we're not always going to understand how this sovereign God is moving, but that in every moment in life, wherever we are in life, if we will surrender to the heart of a God who does love us, that everything we go through in life can be used for the purpose of bringing glory to God on earth. And therefore, everything in life, life and death, our failures and our successes, when we have splattered on the ground and everything is shattered and on our very best day, when it all went the way we hoped it would go, that somehow all of that surrendered to God can be used in a story to help someone else see and know the goodness of God. So whatever you're in today, you're not out of the story of a sovereign God. You're like, but I've blown it all up. I know. But how amazing is it going to be when people see that your God is big enough to put it all back together again? But we've, we've suffered great loss. We all have, but how powerful is it going to be when the world sees that your God is so great that he can bring you through great loss and still give you joy that triumphs everything this world can bring. 
I'll tell you the second reason why this is good news is that you get what's ultimate when you get that it's all about God who is ultimate. You then get what's ultimate. Do you realize the world can't add one thing to your value right now if you're in Christ? And the world can't add one thing to your portfolio right now if you know the one who is at the center of it all. You already are in the greatest story of all. I love that God is bringing Passion City Church Atlanta to at Trillith. I love it because this is a creative hub. This is where people whose minds and imaginations do crazy things are gathering. This is where art is made on many different levels that reflects back this incredible beauty of the God that we're talking about today. This God who has given us the ability to write poetry and melody and to create cinematic beauty and to write story and all of that comes out of the creator of the universe. And so when we're creating, we're reflecting the glory of God. And I love that we're now right in the middle of it. We're literally today right in the middle of it but we are in the middle of it, in the middle of a story. And the story that we're in the middle of today, if I can say this, is greater than any other story that's going to be created at any other moment in the history of humanity. We're already in the ultimate story. You have a role in the ultimate story, which is the glory of God. Shelly and I went to see this movie. You've heard me tell this story before called Bobby Jones. It's about a, a great uh, amateur golfer who had roots in Atlanta. And we got there early because I'm really particular about wanting to get the right seat. And so when we got there, there were only eight people at the theater. And we sat right where we wanted on the aisle uh, toward the back. And there was two couples over here and a guy sitting, interestingly, on the front row of the theater doing this, looking up at the you know pre-roll stuff that was happening. And I'm like, man, I don't know what that guy's deal is, but he could move back here and not have to go to the chiropractor tomorrow. And after a moment or two, he turned around to kind of scan who all's in the theater. And it's just two couples over there and Shelly and me. And he seemed like he liked Shelly and me. And more particularly liked Shelly because he just started staring at Shelly like. And so I just gently moved over into the frame, you know, like. What's up? You want to turn around now? There you go. I was like, man, that, I'm thinking this in my mind because Shelly's minding her own business and she gets stared at a lot. And um, a few minutes later, he turns around again, just starts staring at her. And I'm like, hey, no, like, hey, what's up now? It's like, no, no. And then finally he stands up and I'm like, goes across that way and up and out the theater. And I'm just staring him down the whole way like, yeah, you, I, that's a good plan. I'd go to another movie also. I'd go to another theater if I were you also. God, it was so weird. Guy comes in our side of the theater. 
and comes in the row in front of us and sits down. It's a true story. Shelly's right there. And I'm like, what is happening? And then finally, he just turns around and puts his arm on the chair and turns around and like staring right at Shelly, like right there. And I'm like, whoo. You could feel that my palms are wet right now. I'm like, I'm going, this guy makes one more move. I'm sorry. I wasn't a pastor of Passion City Church at the time. I'm like, I'm going to take this guy out, like right here. And he's just looking at Shelly. And then he says to me, do you like golf? And I, I was like, well, it, you know, a lot of things were going through my mind. We're, we're, we're at a golf movie, so that'd be probably, yeah, yes. Why are you staring at my wife? You know, the movie's called Bobby Jones. It's about a famous golfer and we're here early. So yes, probably do like golf. And I couldn't get anything out, so no words have come out yet. So then here comes the second question. And this one caught us off guard. He said, are you in the movie? And I was like, mm, okay, like in the movie, like, are, at, like in here, like right now? Yes, we are in the movie. We're in the seven o'clock showing at perimeter of the m- movie. Are you, are you asking, like, are we like in the movie? Like, are are like, will we be on screen momentarily? And I'm like, yeah, I, can't, I still can't, I can't get words out because my hands are sweaty and I'm thinking it was going to be an altercation and I'm, I feel bad about that. And he says, I'm in the movie. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Thank God. I'm in the movie. And I, I realized that, um, and I say this kind of gently, but I realized the guy's like, like, like fully socially, like, you know, operating sweet guy. I'm in the movie. I'm in the movie. You'll see me in the movie in the bar scene. I'll be in the bar scene in the movie. You'll see me when the bar scene happens. Look for me. I'll be in the movie at a table in the bar scene. And then I realized this guy's been at the theater all day, every showing, every movie, front row, bar scene. He's in the movie. And I'm like, man, that is so great. And about that time, the, 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 the two couples that I told you were down here, one of the ladies says, I'm in the movie. And he goes, you're in the movie? I'm in the movie. And I mean, immediately gets up from us and now he's right down here in the middle of these two couples and he's talking to this lady and I realized they shot a lot of this movie in Atlanta. And a lot of extras got in this movie and she's in it and he's in it. So now he's sitting with them. They're all eating out of the same popcorn, passing it back and forth. The theater fills up to to capacity. The movie starts and I don't even know what happened in this movie. All I know is there's gonna be a bar scene eventually. And when it happens, babe, we are going to dial into this dude. Well, sure enough, at some point, they get out of a car. They're walking into a bar. And I'm like, here it comes. Here it comes. This is going to be it right here. They go in there. A hundred people in this bar. They swing around to this table. Bobby Jones's character is at the table. Three converse sentences happen. And then they're out of the bar. That was it. And I'm like. And then I feel the presence of this guy. And so I look over, and sure enough, he's over there going. (laughs) And I just lie. I just am like, whoa, man, way to go. (laughs) 
killed it. Killed it. Man, we got out of there when that movie ended, got home. I was like, whew. And, and I was driving in the city of Atlanta a day or so later, and it just all came crashing down. And I was like, oh my word. I'm in the movie. I am in the movie. Do you see it? He was, and he is, and he is to come. In the beginning, it was God. Right now, it's God. When this whole thing is done, guess what? It'll be God. This story, it's his story. It's his script. He's the A-lister. It's about him. He's at the top of the billing. The story is the story of God. But God has given me a role in the story of God. The story that has no beginning and no ending. The story that isn't temporal. The story that outlasts time. The story that is above all stories, I'm in that story. And God has said to me, Louis, I want to invite you in. I want you, A, to know me so that you'll know the ultimate and you will have ultimate meaning and value and significance because you'll have me and I am ultimate meaning and value and significance. I want to invite you into a story that no matter whether it's death or life or the highs or the lows or whatever happens in life, I can still weave whatever happens on a broken world into a story that brings glory to me by allowing people to see how beautiful I am. Louis, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to fill you with the spirit. I'm going to give you an assignment, an opportunity. I'm going to invite you into places and into people and into time and into space. And if you would be willing to be in my story, I would like you to play a role in the story of God. And I'm telling you, this is the beauty of today. Jesus said it this way. He said, if a kernel of wheat remains by itself, it dies alone. But if that kernel of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it produces much fruit. In other words, if you want to make it all about you, you can. But at the end of the day, it's just all about you. But if you want to get planted in the story of a great and glorious God and say, I want it to be all about you, then at the end of your life, there will be a multiplication of life that outlasts time and lives on into eternity. He said, the one who wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Jesus spoke these words. He said, Father, it is for this purpose that I came to this hour, the hour of his death. And then he spoke these words, affirming and amening and a running a lap today around this talk. Jesus said these words, it is for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your 
name. And so we have a choice today. We have a choice. We can write a little mini story or we can just say, God, thank you for giving me a role in the story that will never end. Put me in your story for your glory. Passion is about the glory of God. And you have a place. You are loved by God. He has the power to turn your story around. But it is not about your story. That's too small. It's about his story. And there's no greater meaning than that. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.